If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 117 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we talk with Sarah Levitt. Sarah is a good friend and colleague, but more importantly, for the purposes of this podcast, she has a strong track record in helping leaders to optimize their talents and strengths. And she is the author of a new book on leadership that we think listeners here really need to know about. Before we talk with Sarah, though, we want to acknowledge our sponsor for the first quarter of 2018. We are happy to have Blue Sky eLearn sponsoring this quarter. Blue Sky is the maker of the PATH Learning Management System, an award-winning cloud-based learning solution that empowers your organization to maximize its message. Blue Sky also provides a range of virtual event and instructional services to help you maximize your content and create deeper engagement with your audience. To find out more about Blue Sky eLearn and everything it offers, visit blueskyelearn.com. For the resource for this episode, we want to point you to some great audio to accompany our interview with Sarah Levitt. Namely, we're going to direct you to Sarah's Making Magnificence podcast, where you can access recordings of some of the many interviews with leaders she conducted for her book. These include people like Brad Wilson, CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina, and Dana Bourne, who was a brigadier general in the U.S. Air Force and is now a lecturer in public policy at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. We'll include the link for those interviews in the show notes for this episode. Just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 117. Now, Salisa, we've had many off-air conversations with Sarah as she's been in the process of writing her book. What are some of the areas listeners can look for you to cover in this on-air conversation? Well, we started with some of the basics. Um, We talked first about leadership and what it means. What is her definition of leadership? I think like so many uh, words that get thrown around a lot, leadership is one of those uh, terms that it behooves us to define because not everyone has the same uh, ideas and factors in mind when they talk about it. So we talk about what leadership means to her. um, And we also get into uh, not only leadership of others, but self-leadership. So whether you're overseeing uh, a large team at your organization or whether you're a team of one, what she has to say about leadership is applicable. And then we got into what she learned over the course of these interviews that you've mentioned. Um, She began to see eight threads emerging from these different conversations. And we didn't talk about all eight of those threads, but we certainly touched on some of them and and how they factor into what goes into leadership. And then, of course, because this is the Leading Learning Podcast, we talked about the relationship between leadership and learning. Well, it's been amazing to watch the process that Sarah's gone through and in conducting the interviews and, and more importantly, drawing great lessons from them, learning and, and sharing that learning with others. So uh, it, it's been great to, to talk to her while she's been doing it. And I'm looking forward to this conversation that we're about to have now. So without further ado, let's roll the interview with Sarah Levitt. Hello out there. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. And today I'm joined by Sarah Levitt. Sarah is a leadership expert and the leading authority on magnificent leadership. More about that in just a little bit. She's also a speaker and an author, and she works with leaders to optimize their talents and strengths and drive exceptional business outcomes. Sarah, thanks so much for making time for the Leading Learning Podcast. 
Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Well, so since my introduction was just a quick sketch, um, to kick things off, would you say a little bit more about yourself, about your work and your interests? Yeah, sure. So I uh, primarily work with people who run companies, so uh, CEOs and then Fortune 1000 senior executives. Um, and that's usually to help them accelerate um, their own performance, kind of to take it to the next level uh, of success and to accelerate the performance of their teams. Well, great. And, and I feel like I want to say here at the beginning that uh, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to someone for the Leading Learning Podcast, it's my very first time speaking with them, but that's gladly not the case this time around. <laughs> I've had the chance to talk with you many times over the the past few years and benefit from your insight and your questions and your suggestions. And I think it's ironic that we live and work within what, probably 45 minutes of each other in North Carolina, but we met on the West Coast in LA at a professional development session there. Um, But I'm very glad to have you on the podcast today. And, And what's prompted this conversation is the release of your first book, Magnificent Leadership. So before we dive into some of the specifics of Magnificent Leadership, would you give us a little background on on the book and what led you to write it? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, I began the Making Magnificence project, I think it was about five years ago. Um, And it was really kind of out of curiosity. I wanted to hear the stories of people, particularly leadership exemplars, really, across all different domains. I wanted to hear their stories about how they navigated the conditions of transition and tumult and uncertainty um, and really kind of get inside their stories and understand how they found their, their way through. So I began doing that. And then long story short, I kind of developed a, a keynote out of it. Um, and then I was um, speaking, I was a guest speaker at Harvard at the Center for Public Leadership. And people started saying to me, have you thought about writing a book? <laughs> and I thought, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Um, but I did. So there were themes that I saw um, that ran through all of these interviews. Um, and that's really kind of what prompted the book. Well, and you and I were talking about just before I hit record about there's a little bit of situational irony here because, you know, for the (laughs) Making Magnificent Project, you were on the other side of the table, so to speak, getting to ask the questions. And so now you you have to be subjected uh, to to the questions. so I think the next place I'd like to go is that, you know, before we get deeper into the the book and its concepts, um, you know, it seems to me that we should maybe define the central term. Um, you know, leadership is something we, we talk mm-hmm. about, but maybe we don't all have the same things uh, in mind when we say that. So how do you define leadership? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. And it's interesting. It's often a question that I ask of the um, leaders that, that I interview. So, um, I think of it um, really um, as self-leadership first. And what I mean by that is um, being able to, I think, um, really bring all of one's talents and gifts to, to bear to fruition um, and directing those toward an, toward an aspiration. So to, to lead oneself first and then um, ideally to bring others um, along with us. 
Yes. And actually, you just hit on one of the things that I found really interesting and, and appreciated in, in your book is the fact that you um, focus both on um, leadership of others, but also that, that self-leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so talk a little bit more about those two aspects of leadership um, and how they fit together and relate. And are they always equally important or, or is one sort of the, the driver um, and then the other mm-hmm. tends to follow? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is certainly something that I see in my work with clients, and then um, that I, you know, saw and and continue to see in my interviews that um, I think self leadership has to come first mm-hmm. and is primary because I think without that, it's um, you know I, I like to say that it's really hard to inspire others if we're not inspired ourselves, mm-hmm. um, and and part of leadership's work is is inspiration. So I would say. Self leadership is primary, um, and then and, and not just for for something like inspiration, which, which is fantastic, but also for the challenging times as well. So leaders who are um, leading themselves and their teams and their organizations through uncertainty, you know how a leader frames that, and that's one of the themes in the book. But how a leader kind of sets that up for themselves. That's the tone for um, how other people are going in the organization or association are going to see it as well. So are we, are we going to embrace this market change or challenge or in the association world that might be mem- around membership, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Membership models, that kind of thing. Um, are we going to embrace this? Are we going to get creative about it? Or are we going to shrink from it? You know, what, what are we going to do with this? So I think self-leadership is really primary and that the work of leading others rests on it. Yeah. Okay. So self-leadership, the the bedrock, the foundation that then you build towards the leadership of others from. Okay. You know, and you already mentioned it when you were talking about kind of the the, the process that led to the the book, uh, Magnificent Leadership. But, you know, as you began to look at these um, stories you were collecting and the interviews you'd done that you, you began to see themes emerge. And, and in the end, you identified eight threads that, that ran through the the stories. Um, and so I'm hoping that maybe you would tell us, um, you know, we probably don't have time for all eight of them, and um, uh, but <laughs> folks can go and, and find them in the book. But would you tell us about one or, or maybe two of, of the threads that you've uh, identified um, for Magnificent Leadership and, and tell us a little bit about what that thread means? So, you know, something that I was just referring to was kind of the, what I call the lens we look through um, and framing and reframing. And so all of the um, um, people featured in the book, all the leadership exemplars in the book have faced significant challenge in one form or another um, and have found their way through it. And um, the frame that they use, you know, literally kind of the lens that they're choosing to look through um, determines um, outcome oftentimes. It certainly determines their, their action, their plan of action. And that came up over and over and over again. In fact, um, the story that's featured in the framing and reframing chapter, the lens we look through, um, is a story about a narrative about Dan Michelson, who is CEO of Strata Decision Technology. So, you know, he's running an entire uh, company. And he says that, you know, that ability to kind of give context and meaning um, 
to the people in his organization for what the organization is doing and what they're facing is really the most important aspect of his job, which is a ter- tremendous thing for a CEO to say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, and, and it's not just for how are we going to frame the challenge, but then what are we going to what are we going to do with it? And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, what do we do with success as well? How do we build on it? How do we not take it for granted? How do we leverage it? You know, those, those kinds of things. Um, but that theme um, was apparent in, in all of the stories. And I, I should say as well, one of the things that was interesting um, when I was writing the book was um, seeing quite clearly that almost all um, you know, many, if not all, of the leadership exemplars that are featured possess almost all of the eight key factors. So part of it was um, challenging, was um, part of the challenge was deciding, you know, which story to put um, in which chapter. Because mm. so many of these folks embody really all of the factors of magnificent leadership. Yeah. Well, right. And then that's why you call them threads then, right? Because they tend to be interwoven yes. and then sometimes it can they be are. hard to separate them out. Um, so, you know, you mentioned then that, that the idea of framing and reframing that, that lens that the, a leader brings to a particular um, situation, a, a challenge or uh, an opportunity. So that's one of, of those threads that you saw. What, what's another one of the threads that you saw? And, and if you, you don't have to accept uh, this if you don't want to, but maybe, you know, was there one that sort of um, surprised you a little bit more than the others? Mm, mm. Um, let's see, one that really surprised me, I'd have to think about. Um, I think a story that was real, I'm going to go at this from a different angle, Lisa. I think um, a story that was just really remarkable to me, um, and the story is in the book, is, is Selma Unger, who mm. was 91 when, yeah, when I interviewed her, who <laughs> never fails. Like, if I'm giving a keynote to a room full of CEOs, they'll come up to me and they want to know about Selma. It's really <laughs> wonderful. Uh, <laughs> um, but, um, you know, someone who had had this incredibly full life of family and a, a long marriage, and when I interviewed her, you know, she was she was widowed and really... Um, most of her life had changed radically from how it, how it originally was. And what was really remarkable um, was how she had navigated through that, which was kind of to accept, um, accept those changes, which were quite tremendous. Um, and then kind of make a plan of action or attack um, from there. Um, so that's a story that was certainly, um, remarkable, um, in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, and I, I, that story stood out to me too. I mean, I think in some ways it's mm-hmm, because it mm-hmm. seems a little bit like a counterpoint to some of the other <laughs> stories that you have. It, it's mm-hmm. a, she, she seems to represent sort of a different, um, take on leadership and, and the, just the, the sheer longevity and the, the time span over which she's yeah. had to sort of, um, learn these lessons of leadership and then to, to evolve and, and, and change. Um, that, uh, yeah. So her story also struck me and, and stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, people will come up and ask me, hey, how is she? <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is really great. But her, her story was really kind of remarkable. And what was surprising actually to, to get to your question is I, I was really taken with her, um, 
with the zest that she uh, had for life um, and her ability to kind of continue to greet life at a time when many of us might retreat, myself included, when many of us might retreat from it. Um, and she she wasn't surprised by that at all. In other words, I think it felt completely, it was just like, well, this is, this is how I, this is how I live. I don't know how to do it any other way. And so when I was asking her about, so kind of how do, how do you do this? You know, um, she um, thought of it as almost natural to her. And so that was surprising to me. And to try to deconstruct that was, was fun. And so the way you characterized the, the, the thread that she represented was this accepting what is in order to create what mm-hmm. can be. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, and I think that that is this, um, it, it's that uh, sort of tension between um, acceptance. And so in some ways that can seem passive, you know, you're taking what's being mm-hmm. given mm-hmm. to you. But it's that then also the the other part that goes with it. You accept it so that then you have a role in in the creation that happens from that point forward. And so that sort of the receptivity and a little bit of passivity, but with a goal towards then creation and being actively engaged. So I I, I thought that was yes. a very interesting thread. Yes, yes. And one of the things as I was writing, I realized that that. Um, Acceptance could be construed or constructed for some of us as resignation, and and Selma's the exact opposite of that. You know, like her her life has really changed drastically. She's like, okay, so it it is different. You know, she accepts it, and um, how how am I going to live in these circumstances and and live well? You know, live my life. Yeah. 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 So one of the themes that I noticed uh, in the stories that that you share in Magnificent Leadership is the connection between learning and leadership. And of course, that's the kind of theme I'm likely to notice since it's the leading learning podcast after all. But I mean, I know, for example, uh, Carolyn Colvin, who served as the acting commissioner at the Social Security Administration, said education was the means by which people could affect their station in life. I mean, that was sort of, I think, something Mm -hmm. she had inherited Mm -hmm. from her mother. Um, She had Mm -hmm. that belief, and um, she stuck to that belief through the 14 years of night school it took her to get her college degree. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, remarkable story. Yeah, just utterly remarkable. Yes. And then yeah. there are others too, like Logan Bennett, the the president of the mm-hmm. Al- Alberta mm-hmm. Avalanche Rescue Dog Association, um, and the Canadian Avalanche Rescue Dog Association. And and he was in that chapter. You you say that you know he understands he is both leader and learner, and he's committed to mm-hmm. never stop learning. Um, and then you also talk um, about Brad Wilson, the CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina, and I know. He recommends um, becoming a renaissance person to, to young professionals <laughs> who aspire to become a CEO. And you sort of summarize that that maybe what you know lies at the heart of a renaissance person is the essential belief that learning is infinite. Um, anyhow, so yeah. I, yeah. that's just a few of the the stories that were in there where I sort of see this connection between um, leading and and learning. Um, and clearly others see that connection too, because they're talking about it in these conversations that they're having with you. So I'm interested in your thoughts on that connection between leading and learning. What do you see as the relationship between leading and learning? Mm, so, um, going back to kind of this concept of, of self-leadership first, um, one of the 
themes or the threads of magnificent leadership is, you know, questing for self-mastery, which I really think of as um, an ongoing quest, as part of that is an ongoing quest for learning. Um, and all of these folks, and so you mentioned Logan, and, and he's he's in that chapter, as is Brad, on questing for self-mastery. Um, both people are utterly committed to continuing to um, be, stay curious is, mm-hmm. is really how I think of it. Um, and in, in Logan's case, you know, avalanche mitigation work is, and snow science, as he, it was really cool. I had to, I had to learn about snow um, when I was talking to Logan. But, um, you know, it, it, there's a fair amount of uncertainty there, which is a great metaphor for the business world because all of my clients are facing kind of volatile, uncertain um, circumstances where the sands are shifting, as are people in the association world. Absolutely, the sands are shifting. Mm-hmm. So the ability to, and, and Logan talked about this, the ability to continue to, um, strive and excel and learn and, and get better and improve oneself to be on that quest, I think, is inherent um, to leadership. And then for people who are leading or aspiring to lead um, those around them, to create that environment, and Brad talks about this in our interview, um, to create that kind of environment for um, team members and colleagues um, around us so that um, it is okay not to know an answer, for example. Mm-hmm. It's okay to experiment. Um, it's okay um, to make a mistake, all of which leads to how are we going to learn from it and, and leverage it um, to excellence, really. So I think there's a direct line that runs between um, learning this ongoing curiosity about the world and, and about ourselves um, and, and leadership. Yeah, and I like that you again talked about in your response there. You you addressed the the connection between leadership and learning from both that self leadership role, like that the the leader needs to be that lifelong learner and and be the mm-hmm. exemplar of that. But then there's also the in the leadership of others that opportunity to foster a similar um, desire for learning for knowledge and also um, to make that safe space for. You know, it's okay to to fail if you're trying for good reasons, and as long as we uh, learn what we can from the experience. So, and it's ultimately kind of the the kind of the the it's it, what it's what drives excellence is mm. that curiosity and that that space um, where it's permissible to ask questions and to say, "I don't know. Let me work on this. Let me get back to you. Um, let let me go figure this out." Um, or in Logan's case, you know, where there was an unexpected, he got caught in an unexpected avalanche to immediately pull his team together and say, okay, what happened? Um, let's, let's figure this out. Um, cause the stakes are awfully high. Yes. You know? Right. And so, right. Not only did he realize, okay, I need to reflect and think about what happened in this case, but right. That he did it in that, um, that full sort of team setting where he said, I'm going to get everybody mm-hmm. involved um, so they can mm-hmm. help me see my mistakes, help me see the opportunities. And then they, we can all learn from it and improve. Yeah. It's great. And so that, and that, that I think there's a, um, there's a direct line that runs from um, learning to, to leadership. Um, and, and, you know, Brad talked about how important it is. And I talk with my clients about this as well, how incredibly important it is for leaders to um, 
create that opportunity and space for questions. Cause that's really where innovation is. You know, that's where ideation is. That's where innovation is. And ultimately that's where the competitive advantage is. Mm. Um, it's in learning. Yeah. So in the, in the business world, that's how I think of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that how are we going to get their first question is really answered by learning. Yeah, I like that. That's that's great, and um, certainly, <laughs> I'm fully on board with anything that that says uh, that, that underscores <laughs> the importance of, of learning. Yeah. Um, well, so you know, we build the leading learning podcast as as being for leaders and aspiring leaders in the business of lifelong learning, and you know, you have a, a lot of experience as as a coach and a consultant. Um, your own leadership experience, what you've um, heard in these conversations for the magnificent leadership and making magnificence project. Um, so, I want to pick your brain and find out what advice um, you might have for leaders in the business of lifelong learning who want to take their learning business to, to higher performance. Um, and then also what advice you would have for aspiring leaders in the, in the business of lifelong mm. learning. Maybe it's the same advice for both, or maybe there's uh, some, some mm. difference there. So certainly to take something from, <clears throat> excuse me, from one level to the next, whether that's excuse me, oneself or one's team or the organization. I think what we were just talking about is kind of imperative um, to set the stage for that, which is to set the standard incredibly high, say we're going to stretch, we're going to stretch for this. Um, And in Carolyn Colvin's interview, you know, we we talked about that kind of stretching, so setting the standard really high and then um, uh, doing everything you can to help people get there. So that means having um, the right people in the right roles, for example. Um, and um, for what we were just talking about, Salisa, you know, making it okay to ask questions, to not know the answers, to be curious, to experiment, um, uh, to try different things, to iterate, to then develop kind of internal best practices. So, you know, that's what I would say, um, really on an organizational or on a, on a team level. And then for an individual, I think, um, and the, and it's, it's interesting because one of the two triggers for me often being asked or invited to work with a a senior leader is that they are preparing for an elevated role, um, or, or they've just landed in one. Mm -hmm. Um, and so being aware of, um, where one wants to go. So what's my goal? Um, and what do I need to do to get there? And then, frankly, having someone outside of ourselves, whatever that looks like, um, a mentor, uh, someone like me, obviously, but a mentor something, um, to provide a reflection. And, and this goes to another factor of magnificent leadership, someone to hold the vision of your potential, mm. to help you stretch through the um, challenges, because they are going to be there. The question is how we navigate them. Um, and whether we're, you know, able to do that, um, with skill and, well, you know, as much skill and as much dexterity as possible. So in my world, that means, you know, when someone's landing in a new leadership role in an elevated role or they're preparing for it, often their strategic focus needs to change. They need to kind of get out of the weeds a bit. Um, and that can be tough because being in the weeds, is often what has gotten them elevated mm, in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what they're good at. They're good at being on the front lines. They're good at fighting fires. Um, so kind of pulling out of that a bit and um, setting their gaze, their sights differently. 
um, being able to prioritize because there's going to be more coming at them than ever before. Um, so being able to prioritize and then, and the biggie is being able to, to delegate and that goes hand in hand with the strategic focus, mm-hmm. um, which, which can be, which can be challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So to have someone who can, um, and this goes back to learning, right. But to be open, um, to someone, um, someone's guidance on, um, how to elevate and create higher performance, I think is key. And that goes back to being a learner, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, we always or often uh, talk about how learning is um, arguably you know, fundamentally social, you know, that, that we are in um, yeah. a relationship with a, a, a teacher, a facilitator, a mentor. Um, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. and that is often how we do grow and learn and change. Um, so I'm, I like that you uh, highlighted that thread about having someone else to hold um, the vision and, and to help you determine course and then stick to that course. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Because, it, you know, I, I say to people, it's going to get that vision of our potential and excellence and leadership, you know, it's going to get obscured or blurry at times just by the nature of life and, and work. Um, we might get distracted. We might get um, freaked out or scared, you know, any, any number of things. So to have someone who kind of reflects that to us, I think, is, is key. Well, and just that um, diversity of, of perspective and opinion, um, too, mm-hmm. which can be so valuable. So even even if you were able to sort of maintain your own vision and keep it there, there's still that value in having the different perspectives on, well, maybe that's not quite the right <laughs> target that you've set yeah. there. Um, so, And I know yeah. that that came up in at least at least one of the interviews, I think, where Brad Wilson yeah. at yeah. Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina was talking about when he stepped into the CEO role that he realized people sort of started um, censoring what they would say to him. He wasn't getting the same level of flow of information. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that a great story? Yeah. He said it was fantastic how hard he had to work um, to kind of be extra diligent about um, getting all of the information um, into the room, which again goes back to to learning, right? So learning is direct. That's where there's that line between learning and leadership and performance, yes. right? When all of the information gets into the room, you have a far greater chance of greater performance. Yeah. So I'm going to ask now our next to last question. This is one that we uh, ask of all our guests on the Leading Learning Podcast. Mm -hmm. um, And it gets to your um, personal learning specifically. And so Mm -hmm. I'd like Mm -hmm. to hear about um, one of the most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved in. And and this is um, as an adult, you know, since leaving uh, college and that sort of uh, formal structured um, learning experience. Um, And it could mean you as a... The, the learner or you as the, the teacher or facilitator, but tell us about one of those most powerful learning experiences. There have been, there have been so many. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, anything, and I, I, I can give you a few specifics. Um, I think any, honestly, anything where I, I was kind of scared mm-hmm. and I had to stretch, those are probably the most powerful where I had um, some self-doubt um, and made myself stretch and do it anyway, where I was shaking in my boots a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where on the other side of that is where the good stuff really lies. Um, or even frankly in the stretch itself, 
So uh, more recently, that would be, you know, when I began speaking and then keynote speaking, and as the engagements got kind of bigger and bigger, um, certainly um, those were opportunities to, to be scared and to stretch. <laughs> and people will still say, well, no, really. And people will say to me, um, now I, I always get asked this after a speech. They'll say, um, so do you still get nervous? And I say, yeah, of course, a little bit, you know, and honestly, the day that I'm not just a little bit nervous um, will probably be the day that I, I don't need to be doing it anymore mm. um, be, because, yeah, something will have, I don't know, something will have shifted. Um, and then, so that's one kind of example. Um, I would say the, the Making Magnificence Project um, has been a really great opportunity um, in for learning in several different ways. And frankly, most recently when I was writing the book. Mm-hmm. So as I was writing the book, um, honestly, I, you know, I realized that as I was writing, as it was coming together, that often the chapter that I was working on was exactly what I needed to be reminded of myself. Um, and so I would say... Um, there's a reciprocal relationship there. So I'm its creator, but it's also my teacher in some ways. Mm-hmm. Well, to your first point about, you know, things that um, kind of scare you, that, that maybe kick you into self-doubt, where you have to, to stretch some, that those have um, often been good learning experiences for you. So do you seek out those types of experiences? Or are those more that when, you're, <laughs> when you come across those challenges and, and then they turn out to be learning experiences? I probably, so in terms of um, um, hopefully stretching to my own potential and magnificent leadership, I probably tend to seek them out. You know, the things that I want to do, I do not allow fear to get in the way. Mm. If it's something, yeah. So, so it's not that it's not there. It's that I don't allow it to kind of um, be the thing that's making the decision. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I probably, I probably do seek those experiences out um, for sure. And then in terms of your second point about the Making Magnificence project where you've had this opportunity to hear, you know, other leaders talk mm, and to learn mm-hmm. from them and that project's taught you, but then you're also, you know, taking those different stories, weaving them um, together, uh, th- that makes complete sense to me that there's something about um, the, that the process um, is is you sort of seeing those connections and... and um, making them evident to others and that in that process you're 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 surprising yourself potentially I mean you're beginning to see these connections that weren't maybe readily apparent and and so um I think that anyhow that makes a lot of sense to me that it's it's as you really get your hands um uh kind of dirty in the writing of the book that you mm-hmm, really begin mm-hmm. to fully appreciate the the lessons and the stories that that you've heard through these conversations with all these different leaders so well that's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that's great so thank you for sharing and um the final question is just if listeners would like to to know more about you and your work where should they go Yes, so the best place is my website, and that is uh, www.sarah-levitt.com. Well, great. Thank you so much for your time today, Sarah. Thank you, Felisa. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate it.
That wraps up our interview with Sarah Levitt. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 117. While you're there, you'll also see various options for... That wraps up our interview with Sarah Levitt. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 117. While you're there, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of Leading Learning, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating and a review on iTunes. To do that, go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes, and that will put you in the right place. We really appreciate the ratings and reviews, and it helps others to find the Leading Learning Podcast. Please also take a minute to visit our sponsor for this quarter, Blue Sky eLearn. We really do put a lot of work into producing and delivering leading learning, and one of the key reasons we're able to do that is because of the support of sponsors like Blue Sky. So please visit them at blueskyelearn.com. In addition to finding out about their services, you'll also find a variety of great resources that they offer for free. And we hope you'll tell others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet about the podcast simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. Or if tweeting isn't your thing, just pick uh, your preferred social network and spread the good word that way. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on The Leading Learning.